The Dugout CEO Podcast is on the air. I'm Phil Van Horn, baseball lifer and fan of the Dugout CEO. Each week, Casey Cavell goes around the horn with baseball superstars, Hall of Fame coaches, and business leaders who've used baseball experience to win the game of life. Now batting, Casey Cavell. Nation, welcome to the Dugout CEO podcast. CJ Beatty is our guest today. He is an international speaker and one of the top baseball and softball speakers into the world. He is known all over social media as the baseball and softball motivator. He specializes in teaching people to believe in themselves when nobody else believes. And if you're looking to be encouraged, inspired, and given some simple, applicable tools and knowledge to win more in business, in life, and on the ball field, listen in. This episode is amazing. CJ, welcome to the Dugout CEO. I appreciate it, man. I've been looking forward to it, so I'm finally here. Let's get it popping. So end of the day for me, I've been in meetings, staring at Zooms all day long, helping other people solve their problems. I'll be honest, I'm a little low on energy, but you're like the top baseball, softball, motivator, whatever. So like you need to pump me up right now, and I want you to pump up our listeners because it literally says you're a motivator. So like CJ, it's so good to have you here once again. No worries, man. I mean, it's every day that you freaking wake up, man, like for real. Rain, sleet, or shine. You go out there, you grind, because you just never know. Living in living in the not knowing is the beautiful part about life, because you could be one step, one door away from really cracking it open. For you, one interview away from really reaching thousands more people, you know? So I'm just happy to be here, because I know that this is going to reach somebody that's going to knock the socks off. Gosh, I love it. I was just talking to Jim Morris. You've seen the movie The Rookie? Of course. So I was just talking to Jim last week, and he's like, you know what, man? I was just one pitch away. I was one outing away from the big leagues. And he goes, so many people just stop, you know, just a little bit short in life. You know, it throws you curveballs and all of that kind of fun stuff. So let's first talk about you as, like, a baseball guy, a player, and then let's get into some of the other stuff that you've been doing. So, like, how would you come to fall in love with the game of baseball? Uh, I, my mother told my father I better not – she better not ever catch me in a football uniform prior to high school. That's how I got it. That's how I got into uh, baseball, man. Um, she was just one of those mothers that was very protective of her kids not getting broken up at an early age, broken arm, all that kind of yeah. stuff. So yeah. being a good father that my uh, father and husband, yeah. um, he listened to Mrs. Beatty and uh, directed me in less contact sport of baseball. And it just so happened that I freaking had a, I had a thing for it, you know, so yeah, fell in love with it at an early age of five and six, and we just could never, not a uh, fall ball, spring ball, fall ball, spring ball, year round, man. Yeah, well, Mr. Beatty's a smart man, and uh, you know, <laughs> I I heard the other day, I, maybe it was a sermon at church or something, where it was like marriage, it's not fifty fifty, like you do half, and it's like both people have to do it to make it work. And yeah, you're right. Yeah. A, a, a dad that listens to the mom or the husband-wife combo, that's yeah. really important. So to have that yeah. kind of teamwork from your parents I think is really cool. And then so did you jump into playing football ever or was it just baseball? No, I really did. I, I Dude, to be honest with you, my dad, he was a freaking man around the city. He was like a local legend for football. Um, and – my knack for football was just, I think it was hereditary, to be honest with you, because when I got to the ninth grade, 
I was drooling to play. I wasn't running from it. I was running towards it because I'm like, man, it's been my whole life. So here it is, ninth grade, what's up? And um, I love defense. I like hitting people. I love applying the pain. I, I wanted people to fear me. Um, and be, I mean, to be straight transparent, I was a pretty good football player. I, I don't think by far I could have went as far as I did in baseball, um, but I definitely could have went, you know, low, maybe as if I was dreaming, mid-major. But uh, I think if I would have kept going, like maybe a black college but, uh, football, something like that. Um, I love football. That energy that football brings in high school every Friday night leading up to that Friday night lights. Man, that's something, that's something, you know, that's crazy right there. Yeah, so good. So, so obviously you chose baseball, you know, uh -huh. MLB draft pick, you had your career and stuff like that. Talk to us about your playing career and then transitioning into, you know, some of your stuff in life after baseball. Yeah, um, shoot, I stopped playing football in my junior year um, because I was heavily recruited as a baseball player. Um, I was one of the first I was part of the first wave of people when NCSA came onto the platform of scouting and recruiting. Um, and they really, they really helped me get out there a little bit more, dude. I got like 65 letters to go to any school in the country for baseball. Um, it, and it was crazy to get that because here I am in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, you know, I wasn't in a hotbed like Georgia, Texas, Florida, California. It was Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I got LSU, uh, I got UVA, uh, I even had Harvard, and I was like, Harvard wants me? Like, this is crazy. But uh, other than that, man, it was it, that's how I got into it, man, and I was just hungry. I was addicted to practice. That's one of the things that helped separate me and keep me separated was I was addicted to practice. I always wanted to practice. My parents literally was, like, wanting to give me whoopings because I was not wanting to come in the house. Like, can you imagine that in today's society? Uh, why why did you get a whooping? Uh, because I refused to come in. I wanted to keep practicing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, But that's what I like to encourage players to do. I said, man, your mom and dad should be wanting to drag you in the house when it comes to your dreams and goals. You know what I'm saying? So that's just how it was for me. Yeah, so you had all these schools that were coming after you. What did you end up doing? <sighs> I mean, just, I'm going to keep it 100 with you, bro. I wanted to, my dream school was Florida State. And we let we let my recruiting service know that I wanted to go to Florida State. I didn't get a letter from Florida State. I was like, what? Like, this is weird. Like, I don't know. I, I, so I kind of was like a little hurt by that. But my second choice was UVA with Coach O'Connor. And, um, and I got a lot of interest from UVA. Like, they were sending me letters almost biweekly. Um, but I made one trip up to UVA uh, for a travel ball tournament in that area. And I was just like, I'm, I'm a homebody. Like, this is a long ride. Are we there yet? And if I want to come home, how do I come home on the weekend? And, you know, most cases, freshmen can't drive their freshman year, you know, in most cases. So I was like, I'm stuck up here? Nah, I'm going I'm to go in-state. So literally, I shifted gears. NC State gave me a great offer to come there. Um, but then Raleigh was almost two hours uh, away. And I was like, man, if I want to just go back and forth, which can be done in two hours, it's not bad. 
But again, I'm like, man, I don't feel like driving. Like, if I want to do laundry or if I want to go see my friend, I got to bump it back two hours to get my 8 o'clock class. I'm like, nah, I got to get somewhere closer. And so I was narrowing it down just in that simple way of thinking because uh, I just grew up very, very close to my family and friends. Um, so we narrowed it down to Elon University. At that time, it was in the SoCon. And uh, and I was like, man, I'm going to Elon. I'm going to be a Phoenix. I'm great. Elon. Boom. No. A&T called and said, hey, man, I know Elon wants to give you this, but we want to give you all baseball money. So I literally got a full scholarship in baseball, you know, and it's and it's not it's almost unheard of in baseball without it being pieced together. Yeah. But no, I had all baseball money. Like I literally had a full scholarship in baseball and um, and I couldn't turn that down with me being the oldest child and looking out for my brothers and sisters coming behind me. And A&T was D1 and they were 25 minutes from the house. I said, this is this is the best of both worlds right here. So I chose North Carolina A&T. Yeah. And then what? 2009 draft pick, mm -hmm. right? Yep. My, after my junior year, uh, that was my goal since I was eight years old to be a professional baseball player. They called me my junior year. I mean, I uh, I was a confident player, a confident person. I knew I was going to get drafted. I knew because, you know, when you know that you're playing on like the top showcase teams and scouts are at your game and you're hitting them over the fence and you're just kind of like, Nobody's got to tell me that I'm going to get drafted, but if I'm hitting the ball over the fence in front of a lot of scouts, I got to know that I'm on somebody's board somewhere. So out of at that time, out of nearly 50 rounds, I got to be at least one of those picks. So at that time, man, seriously, I just I didn't care really what round I went in. I just was like, I know I'm going to get drafted. It's inevitable. Just stay healthy and hungry. Um, so, yeah, they drafted me after my junior year. And then what was the, I guess, path like in minor league baseball and then take us up to the point of uh figuring out okay maybe baseball isn't the thing long long term and we all have that point in our careers where it's like we just can't play anymore somebody told us or our body told us or whatever and then you've transitioned really nicely out of that so talk about the, the playing side of things and then transitioning to uh what's next yeah minor leagues was very eye-opening just like it is for any rookie because you know you're so used to coming from your high school or coming from your college being the guy. But when you get to spring training, everybody's the freaking guy. I like everybody. And you start to, and I, and, I, and I always say when I'm on stage speaking, it's almost like everybody's the monsters from Space Jam. Like everybody has a superpower and they're huge. So you're sitting there watching people that are better than you, equal to you, faster than you, stronger than you. You know, they could do things a little bit quicker than you. You're like, oh, holy crap. How do I? Okay, whoa. Yeah, I got I got to lock in. Um, so minor leagues was definitely an eye-opening experience for me. Um, that was also a time where my mental toughness was tested and where I understood what mental toughness was because I didn't play every day. You know, here I am since the age of five. I was the guy. Since the age of five. Yeah. And you get drafted, and then you get to a point where you figure out, like, dude, I play on every Monday and Thursday. Like, what is up with this? You know, so this was, it was like big, big, you were, as a child, you're introduced to big business. And I would say, yes, as a child, mentally, because if you're never been pushed with adversity, you're like, like, what is this? Mommy and daddy can't help you. You got to figure it out on your own. Um, so, but I, I stuck with it. Unfortunately, I got released from the Cardinals in 2011, but I didn't want to quit. I said, uh-uh, this is a wake-up call. I want to come back better than they left me. Uh, I want to keep pursuing this. I 
truly believe that I can still get there. So I went the independent ball route, uh, four years, six different teams, um, taking me all the way to Australia. I played in, for the Brisbane Bandits, played uh, club ball over there just to get over there for the um, in Kapalaba, um, Queensland for uh, the Redland Rays. You know, so baseball takes you everywhere. Um, but while I was over there, I made a lot of connections in independent ball and a good friend of mine got me on with the Washington Wild Things in the Frontier League. Okay. And um, that's where I got hooked on. And from there at the Washington Wild Things, um, I became a Hall of Fame member recently, put in some great numbers while I was there in the Frontier League. Um, and the White Sox called me. And they they uh, they picked me up as a free agent, gave me another shot at affiliated ball. Like it took me four years, six different teams for me to get another shot at affiliated ball. And I'm talking about I balled out every year up into that. 17 home runs, 25 doubles, multiple next year, 18 home runs, you know, and it's just like no call. So you just keep grinding. Um, but the White Sox finally uh, found a need. They signed me and they sent me home, bro, like in my hometown. Like, how ironic is that? Out of all the teams that needed a player, they signed me, and then they sent me to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, to play high for the Dash. And I was like, oh, my God, this is 10 minutes from my actual birth home. That's crazy to play in front of your, your – it was like the little big leagues for me. Yeah, sure, you know? man. And I think it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, adversity and handling that and learning that and the mental toughness. You know, is that something that you, you learned as a kid? Because I, I was talking to a parent the other day, actually a family member. They're homeschooling their kid now. I think mm -hmm. they're eight years old because they're getting bullied from school mm. or at school. And I'm like, man, what is that what you do? Do you just, all right, well, they're getting bullied. I guess I'm just going to homeschool. Or do you like let them figure it out? Because I'm like, I'm looking back at when I went to school and I'm 38, so I lived in a different time, right? But mm -hmm. like now it feels like, people parents are like trying to protect everybody mm -hmm, like they're mm -hmm. trying to live in this bubble where it's like oh you say a mean word or something bad happens to you like i'm just wondering like this adversity and what you learn because it just feels like now like maybe we're not letting kids go through it or we're coddling these kids and then when they hit the big leagues or the minor leagues or they hit whatever and people say mean things they don't know how to handle it do you mm -hmm. see that happening and then did you have some of that stuff you learned that allowed you like when adversity really hit to like still keep going mm -hmm. uh, dude that's that's <laughs> that's a topic that can go on for a long time um and i've talked about this a lot and i said stop giving your kids soft landings because parents can't live forever you can't live forever you can't continue to put out every fire because they're going to know that fire burns whenever your time is up, you know? Um, so yes, I, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for, and this is, and this is how I separate the two, bro. I say this, you keep them in the fight as long as it's not toxic. If you get somebody saying that, Oh man, they're telling me that my ears are too big. Well, you need to coach your son through that. Coach your daughter through that. Sure. Oh, they're picking on me cause I don't have the new shoes. Coach them through that. If they're getting physically assault, uh, assaulted, if they're getting picked on by the color of their skin, racism, okay, these are some things that can really, not saying that, you know, there's one bigger than the other, but you got to know as a parent when it gets truly toxic, when it becomes detrimental, but we can't continue to put out because they say mean things to me. What are they saying? 
And then also when it comes to changing your child from a school, it should come from as a last resort, not first resort. Like go in, speak to the guidance counselor, speak to the principals, speak to the coaching staff. If nobody after all of these things have been addressed, then maybe it's time to relocate. But don't look for the first ship out of the harbor just because somebody says something mean to me. I got to tell you something, CJ. I was on that first ship out of the harbor a couple times because, and I don't know if it was my parents. I mean, my parents wanted the best for me. Like they were mm -hmm. amazing. But like I, I didn't transfer high schools because I think I offended everybody at my first one or mm -hmm. it just didn't work. Now I left and thankfully the next place, it was a, a better landing spot or maybe it was a better culture. So there was probably a little bit of I did and a little bit of what they did, but mm -hmm. I don't know if I really learned from that. And I think, you know, my parents and a lot of parents, they just want to make life easy on their kids. But mm. if you make it easy on them and when things get hard, it's like, dude, what are they going to do? They're not going to know what exactly. to do. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 and that's what it is. And, and, and also, I just feel that parents today, especially in, in sports, they have to take their parent parent goggles off. You got to look at things. You got to look at things from a routine standpoint of. Yes, I'm a parent, but before I make this decision, let me try my best to think of this critically. Let me think of this outside of the box before I make my final decision. Because if you always attack from the heart, you'll never, you, you, there'll be sometimes that you don't incorporate the brain and they should work together. They should work together. And if I only say heart, 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 then I'm always going to go to bat for my child. Oh, my child can never do wrong or no. Well, you don't speak to my child that way. No, before I, before I act like that, let me look at it from another angle. Let me get another opinion. Let me, let me talk it over with my wife. Let me, let me bring it over with somebody else. And let me, maybe let me sleep on it one night before I just think about, uh-uh, I've had enough. I'm going down there or no, that's it. We're going to another team. You will be shortstop. No, no. Gosh, I heard something the other day, and since this is a dugout CEO, I think this like makes sense. A great CEO versus maybe a not so great CEO, it's more of a parent than a babysitter. Mm. You know, a parent leading, teaching, right, guiding versus mm -hmm. babysitting. Because you're right, like as a CEO or a leader, you want other people to like do it so you don't have to be the one there telling them to do it, right? It's like mm – -hmm, mm -hmm. I remember my parents, hey, you know, giving me different advice and wisdom. And when it came down to it, I made some good decisions and I made some poor decisions. But at the end of the day, I'm going to have to make decisions. Your kids, whoever, is going to have to make decisions, good decisions. But it's like you got to be the one to empower them and not micromanage them or babysit them. So I thought that was really cool. Parenting versus babysitting. Yeah, yeah. Very true. I had this, and I'll say this real quick. Like my last speaking that I had with uh, one of the organization softball organizations down in Gainesville uh, Florida one of the parents came up to me and said CJ that speaking was everything that we needed is saying a lot of the same stuff that I say but I got a question for you I'm just struggling with I know what I need to tell my daughter however I feel like she has developed and is still developing that closed ear to me and I can feel it I can sense it but what can you help me with that because I want her to do so well what do you suggest that I do? Because I don't know what else to do. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say it a different way. I'm trying to come a different angle. And I told him, I said, I have the answer for you. And he, was, and he came in. I said, you need to focus on being the best cheerleader that you can be. 
the best cheerleader. You need to get your pom-poms high in the air and stay there. What you need to spend your time doing is searching the Internet and local, local and around the region for somebody that says the same stuff that you say and get them hooked that way for the information. And when they look at you, they look at you as the cheerleader. That's what we need to do as parents. When that time starts to happen where that closed ear is there, don't fight it because it ain't going to do nothing but make it worse. Just sit back, relax, and be the parent cheerleader and find another mouthpiece that's saying the same stuff that you say. Because nine times out of ten, maybe even ten times out of ten, they are always going to come back and say, guess what I learned today? And it's the same stuff that you <laughs> always said. Gosh, and I, I can just imagine the parent in me, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? I've been telling you that for 10 freaking years. Like what's wrong? You know, it's, it's like, okay, don't say that. Whatever you do, yeah. don't say that. Yeah. Right. Whatever you do, but, do not just welcome it in. Yeah. I'm working on something right now, CJ. So I got a little daughter and little son oh, and wow. our son. I mean, I mean, little, 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 like two and a half <laughs> years old and 10 months old. Yeah. And I'm like, please, Lord, never let me say, can you just be like your brother or can yes. you just be like, cause <laughs> stuff like that, it just, yeah. it just kills kids. And yeah, it really I think, does. It really does. It's, and it sticks with them forever. Oh, my god! It gosh. sticks with them forever. And and I think it's being their cheerleader, like embracing their weaknesses, right? Mm -hmm. Celebrating their strengths and just seeing that everybody's unique and they need something different. And I think the cheerleader thing, I mean, if you're a parent or you're a CEO or you're a coach, you're parenting whoever you're working with, leading, guiding, mentoring, connecting. The thing you just mentioned, CJ, like, wow, because, you know, my dad, I would not listen to him about uh, fate at all, right? And I came to faith, you know, came to know or have a personal faith of my own later in my mm -hmm. 20s. But it wasn't because of what he said or mm -hmm. it was because he connected me to somebody that basically said the same thing that my dad's been saying, but just in a different way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so good. And that's why there's people out there like me and you, consultants, coaches, like, you know, I, I get hired by CEOs all the time. They're like, hey, come and mentor my staff or help yep. them put in yep. processes or efficiencies. Yep. And he's like, these are the things that I need them to do. And I'm like, all right, well, I can help you do that because they've already tuned them out. So I think that's really important. And that's mm -hmm. probably why you get a lot of speaking engagements too, because people listen to different people with different energy. So let's talk about that. Like you, you travel all over the world. Like you're one mm -hmm. of the top speakers in baseball and softball kind of circles out there. What are some of the things that you're teaching and talking about to inspire kind of, you know, players and all that kind of stuff? Mental toughness, exactly what we talked about being, you know, and what started me on this path, bro, is this. Whenever I got released um, by the St. Louis Cardinals and I said I wanted to come back a player that they've never seen before. Right. I knew at the age of 23. That I lacked mental toughness. Nobody taught me mental toughness. And even to this day and age. Mental toughness is attacked, but more so in a curriculum base where we cover it, but we're only, I mean, think about it. At the, at the high school level, the middle school level, the travel ball level, there's a time frame for practice, and the practice is either an hour or two hours or maybe three hours, but it's usually one coach, one volunteer, one coach, no volunteers. 13, 14, 15, 20 players on the roster. Everybody's out there 
and, and, and people are showing up late and you don't have much time and you got to get swings in and ground balls have to be done. And you got that one pitcher throwing with the catcher way down the line. And after that is over with and the last BP is hit, everybody meet at the pitcher's mound on home plate, run around, do a couple of base running things, and then we break it down and go home and get ready for the weekend. Where was the mental toughness explained? So my entire life, it was set up like that. I didn't know about mental toughness, knew nothing about routines. I didn't know anything. My dad was a truck driver. So all I knew was grab a bucket, go to an open field and throw the ball up to yourself and hit it. You know, my dad, my dad didn't play baseball. So all I knew was grab a tee and hit the ball hard and go get it and pick, put it back. My mom, you see what I'm saying? So I had a rude crash course with mental toughness. So when I got done playing the sport and, and motivational speaking started to fall in and I had to find my lane inside of the industry, somebody challenged me to say, well, what are you going to be the guy for inside of baseball? And I said, well, you know what? I lack mental toughness. And if I go to Google, even to this day, outside of me, you, you really can't name a person that is specifically for that. Now, of course, you can find the mental skills coach for the Boston Red Sox. You can find that. But where's the brand that's like that exactly? Even today, it's tough to find. So I said, I'm going to be that person on social media where the kids are, where the parents are, where the play, uh, youth coaches are. I'm going to be that person that people can rely on that's going to talk routines, approaches, uh, dieting, what you, visualization, all note-taking, all of this stuff. That's going to help because I liked it and I know the kids need it. Cause you're so right. Like you mentioned going to spring training. It's like, everybody's got the body, right? Everybody's fast or strong or whatever, but it's like at the end of the day, it's, you know, how are they between the years? Mm -hmm. And that's it, man. And, and I think one, thank you because I think you've done two things really well. One, you saw something in the marketplace that nobody was, like nailing and becoming an expert at. So you're meeting a need that's out there, which I agree because you teach mental toughness in baseball. If they get done playing baseball, because you know, only 1% is going to make it uh -huh. to the big leagues and be able to, you know, make a career out of it. They're going to need that in whatever they do. Mm -hmm. But number two, like you just found your niche too, because there's so many people that, Hey, I'm a motivational speaker. Like you have a very specific topic that you go after. And, you know, people that are listening to this, you might be self-employed, you might be your own business owner or whatever, but it's like, everybody needs to have a niche. Mm -hmm. And there's so many businesses out there that go so wide, but they don't really do anything really well. Our baseball academy, CJ, I owned, I bought an underperforming sports academy, okay. but they did every sport, right? Mm -hmm. What they didn't do any of them really well. So when I bought this thing out, I got rid of the the soccer and the lacrosse and the sports performance said, all we're doing is baseball and softball. And then eventually I just got rid of softball because I didn't really know softball. I wasn't mm -hmm. passionate about it. And I said, mm -hmm. we are going to be the best in the world at baseball for five to 12 year old kids. Cause that was like the niche that we had. Mm -hmm. And one, man, I would have loved to have you back in the day because I'm sure you have something for the five to 12 year old market and you mm -hmm. might have a different offering for the 12 to 18 year old market or whatever. Mm -hmm. But man, I just want to praise you because you're right. Everybody's teaching you how to hit the ball or get faster, or bigger, stronger, but they're not teaching like how to think smarter and be mentally tough. So what advice, I guess there's probably people listening to this. Um, maybe there's some players, right? High school, okay. college age, but a lot of people are, you know, they're out of college or they're, they're done, right? They're a leader. 
what does mentally tough look like in the marketplace? <laughs> mm. When it comes to mental toughness, I always tell people it's being able to react, how you react to adversity. That's a way that you can measure a person's mental toughness. When they get punched and they get back, when they get back up, how do they come back? What's that response like is going to show you the character, the integrity, the mental grind and everything about a person. When they when they go at something with all that they got and it doesn't work out, you're getting ready to see where they're at mentally. It's getting ready to show you right then there. when adversity strikes, you're going to see a true barometer of where they are, a true measurement of where they are mentally. Um, in this marketplace today, I think everybody is lacking the skill of note taking. The skill of note taking. Every top level CEO that does it at a great level, Casey, come on now. They have that. They have that processor down. They their intake of information is down. And every CEO or anybody that doesn't do it at a high level, the, their their organization is off. When I was a, when I when I did life uh, when I did uh, life coaching, every time I took on a client. Regardless of their background, high level execs all the way down to a school teacher. Everybody, I say 90 percent of my clients struggled with organization, struggled with being able to uh, tell me Monday through Monday. They were now everybody was able to tell me what their job schedule was. You're always, oh, oh, this is what oh, my work. Let me look at my work schedule. Let me log in real quick. No, no, no. I'm talking about your personal schedule. And inside of the, oh, yeah, uh, I have to pick up my son. I got to do this. Uh, little Henry has a recital. They got to, no, 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 no. You, like your personal schedule. Like, what are you doing for yourself physically and mentally Monday through Monday? And it crickets. And I said, there it is. Because if you don't build something up mentally to sustain everything that you're putting out, what's what what's pouring into you? Gosh, you're fired up right now, aren't you? I'm pumped, man. I'm getting ready to run through a wall. <laughs> hey, hey, it's I your know. fault, bro. You, hey, it's your fault because you're you're alley. You're you're tossing these amazing alleys to me. I'm just like, yeah. Argh. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this, man. I'm taking notes right now, so I got them, right? And then my processor, my processor, like, puts them into a system, and then I review them once a month because I learned that. Um, you know, my, my great-grandpa founded a pretty cool company, and I heard through the grapevine that he always said, wherever you are, bring a pen and pad. Wherever you mm. are, bring a pen and pad because you never know yes. what you're going to learn. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's uh, super cool because it's like, all right, when you learn something, write it down. Yes. Uh, gosh, I was on Hard Knocks the other day, or uh -huh. I was on Hard Knocks. I was watching Hard Knocks, and okay. the uh, Jets coach, Robert Sala, said this. So there's a couple different types of people, and I pulled up the article. He said, at the bottom, there are survivors. A survivor is someone who does just enough to get by. He coasts through his day and does not maximize his mental capabilities. They love the easy way out. They also love it, and they're miserable, and they're going to do everything to bring you along with them. The sad part is every organization has at least one of them, and I promise you, you can't hide them. I was like, mm. oh, my gosh. All right. Wow. And then I'm like, all right, well, the next one, 
The next level of a competitor is a group called contenders. A contender is someone who is motivated by external factors like playing time, money, fame, the person they're going against, but he only is going to reach his potential if the external motivators are threatened. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. The third level, and we're almost there, the one we seek is a group of competitors. A competitor is someone who is internally motivated to be his best regardless of the situation. His place on the depth chart does not matter. Money does not matter. Fame does not matter. He is always trying to be his absolute best. He can't be swayed because he is already maximizing his potential. This dude is trying to set a PR every day of his life. He's got a championship mindset. And when you have a championship mindset, you embarrass the shitty ones because you're going to make the great ones look normal. Yeah, I'm preach, like, oh, preach. I'm like, all right. And I'm like, all right, well, what the heck is a commander? He basically has all the traits of the competitor with one exception. He brings other people with him. Ooh. And he asks him, he's like, all right, well, which one are you? And it's like, you can't hide who you are. So I'm like, oh, man. I was like, just fire me up. Like I told you at the beginning of this, CJ, I'm a, I was a little low on energy. Now, now you got me fired up. Like, let's go. Right? I love it, dude. That's that's awesome, man. And, you know, and I'll say I'll add to that, too, just for the ones that are listening. Things didn't start happening for me until I started focusing on other people. Mm. I'm serious. It, 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 and, and it transferred. I learned that on the baseball field. I didn't have the best statistical, statistical year of my professional career until I said, forget about getting signed. Forget about getting signed again. Play the game because you love it and do your best to be the best leader you can be and lead by bringing others with you. So when I went to the cages, I brought the rookies. And when I went to throw extra, I went to go pick up somebody that needed a ride. And it was contagious and it, and it made it fun again. It increased the brotherhood. So I learned that from on the field. And now I take that into my entrepreneurship and I take that into my motivational speaking and everything that I do. It's it's I'm I'm on this podcast because, yeah, you're cool, but I'm on this podcast because I know that somebody is going to hear this podcast, hear this episode. And they're going to go the distance because of it. That's what drives me. It's the what if. What if I get on this podcast and it does absolutely great? How many lives will it change? That's what drives me. Man, so how do we get more CJ? Like, where are you at? Where are you hanging out? What are you doing? Who do you help? Like, give us a lowdown. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm dude, I'm, I'm trying to be at as many places as possible. And I, I, mean, I always pray for strength every single day because I'm always giving it out. You know, I'm always giving it out. But definitely I'm big on social media. Follow me on Instagram, CJBaity44. Uh, uh, well, it's not Twitter no more. It's X. Uh, but CJ Beatty 44 on there as well. TikTok, I got music that's going viral on there. Uh, and I wanted to make music just so, you know, I felt like growing up in music, if it was positive, it was corny. To be, I'm going to be straight up honest. It was corny. The beats didn't knock. It, it just wasn't there. But I, you know what I said? I said, no, I'm going to be that guy that speaks positive, builds up have some comedy in there with the, with the baseball, softball music, but it's going to knock. The 808's going to hit. It's going to be thumping. I'm going to have the parents in the car like, yeah. <laughs> and I've been doing that since 2015, and I've been fortunate to get a nice size following with that. So, uh, But other than that, man, just type in CJ Beatty on these platforms, and you should see us on there, Daily Motivation. Uh, just I'm addicted to helping people. That's great. And then 
speaking, who do you like to speak to and, and what topics are, are kind of obviously mental toughness, but mm -hmm. what are the groups that you do best with? Yeah, starting from corporate, man, I, I speak to sales teams. A lot of said that's that's my sweet spot. Um, uh, sales teams bring me in sales retreats. They want me to help them with their their climb. They want to help me with the atmosphere in the in the um, with the day with the mundane of trying to get on those cold calls and doing everything and how they can grow mentally within themselves to reach for uh, reach for higher goals and higher efficiency. Um, university athletics. University athletics. I know I come in and I speak at graduations to all the student athletes. Um, what are we talking about there is, again, we're talking about the brotherhood, the sisterhood, because they got the X's and O's. Think about it. You have a qualified coach at, at the college level that's that's got the background. Well, why do they want CJ to come in? Because I'm going I'm to stick my foot up their butt about teamwork, about teamwork and understanding that that I thinking about me, 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 me is the reason why you're riding this mental roller coaster, this emotional roller coaster. Start locking arms with your teammates and watch how your stats go up. So that's my message for them. Um, and then for the young ones, like, well, well, we might have a young travel ball team that's like eight or nine. I just push, I push the pedal to the metal when it comes to teaching them about dreaming. I want them to dream. I don't want them to think that it's over for them if they have a bad game or a bad season. I want them to be aggressive on the basis. I want them to be aggressive in the box. Be aggressive in life. Fail forward. So that's what my message is for uh, for all the ages. So good. So let me get you out of here on this. What was your walk-up songs when you played baseball, man? What did you just kind of stroll up there to? What fired you up? I mean, you're you're basically a modern-day Nelly, right? You're <laughs> blowing up TikTok. I've seen these music videos on YouTube, right? Like, well, what was your song? What'd you wake up uh, or what'd you walk up to? One of my favorite walk-ups, and it's and it and for me it's tough to say because I'm 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 very like I hate I, I had Aloe Black, I'm the man, oh. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. And the thing about it is, you know, it could go either way with the people and their perception of me that didn't know who I was. They're like, oh man, he's all about himself, he's all about himself. But that song right there really empowered me to believe deep into who I am. And when I heard that walk-up song by Aloe Black, Come On, it was like, ooh, I'm the man and I'm better than that pitcher. Because I tell all my hitters, you got to have that type of attitude because this game is designed for you to fail. So if you go up there with that attitude of maybe I'll be okay, uh, no, you won't be okay. So the, the walk-up song for me was like my last, my last, it was another extension of what I'm thinking. And plus I wanted a pitcher. To hear that so you can grip the ball a little tighter and get behind the count and have to groove that fastball for me to go, se fue pelota, adios, you know, so that was it for me, man. Oh, my gosh. All right, so get us out of here, man. Drop us a bar. I'm a man. Just sing it for us, and then we'll just kind of cruise out of here and go take on the world. <laughs> oh, you can tell everybody. Oh, you can tell everybody. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. That's what I'm saying. That's I what love I'm it, saying. CJ. CJ, man, thank you so much for being a guest and the dugout CEO. No problem, man. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor, man. Dugout Nation, wow, what a great time with CJ. I hope you were encouraged and inspired. I got three big takeaways for you. Number one, be a niche. CJ carved out a niche. There's so many businesses out there, consultants, coaches, that go wide. Everyone's a customer, but CJ... 
he picked a niche. He knew his niche was mental toughness. That's what he likes to talk about, he's best at, and what he can make money doing. Chapter 5, good to great, they call it the hedgehog concept. Every business needs one, and when I work with consulting clients or organizations, very few have nailed it. It's the intersection of what you can be world-class in, the best at doing. It's what you're passionate at, what you love to do, and it's something that makes money. It's got to be a viable business model. Have you found your hedgehog concept for yourself as a person or professional? Number two, teach people how to handle pain, pain, adversity, bullying, it's coming. Your job as a parent is to teach someone how to manage it, deal with it, and process it. Don't protect those you love from pain. Pain, it's inevitable. Prepare them for it. The difference between a great CEO or leader is that they see themselves as a parent rather than a babysitter. Babysitters, they make sure that kids do what they should do. They don't break anything. They don't get hurt. Great parents are a great example for their kids. They teach. They mold. But they let them make mistakes. They let them learn, and they let them get better. And number three, he mentioned that his great skill was a skill of note-taking, being able to process information, hear great ideas, thoughts, ways to improve and innovate, and take action on it. He said, write everything down, read it, study it, and apply it. All the ideas, thoughts, and stuff you read in here, focus on the big items, the 20% of those things you write down, and take action on those items. And if you can master the skill of note-taking, staying organized, you're going to be in great shape. Thank you for joining us once more for another episode of The Dugout CEO. We want to get you the tips you need to become an MVP at what you do. Sign up for our Friday Focus newsletter and you'll receive a valuable tip each Friday morning to help you build the business and life you want. You can sign up by going to CaseyCavell.com or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notification on our next episode. And one way you can help us book more great guests like this is to please leave us a rating and honest review in the Apple or Spotify podcasting app.